Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in his in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and risen us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created Christ Jesus in good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Everyone now may be seated. Good morning. There we go. How's everybody doing? All right. That's weak. I'm okay if you're being honest. If you're not doing well, you don't have to say something. But if you're doing all right, right, let me know. How's everybody doing? Okay. Lon's doing really well this morning. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, uh, good morning. Those of you that are guests, uh, it's good to have you. Um, like Adam said, we're in a new series as we walk um, expository through the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're looking at God's message that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. And then, and then what is God saying to us here at Gateway today? What is God saying to the community in which we live in? All right, so if you got your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Go ahead and flip there. And while you're flipping there, I just want to give you uh, uh, just the, the shot over the bow that I, I was out camping with our students this weekend, and uh, I drove back early this morning. As you know, uh, we didn't get a whole lot of sleep. You don't get a whole lot of sleep when you're working with students, and so I've had coffee all morning, so that's just the shot over the bow for you, okay? I'm hyped up this morning. Um, and, and if you're wondering, hey, you know, aren't you supposed to be with my kids? Don't worry, okay? Don't worry. I tied him up to a tree, all right? I set him free, you know, I said, we're going to learn some self-sufficiency, all right? I'm going to go, you guys figure out how to get back, all right? It'll be a good team-building exercise for them, so don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. They'll be all right. Hey, this morning, before we get into this passage, I just want to say this. It, this is my heart in this passage, and this has been my heart over the last month or so, as I look at our culture and I look at what God is speaking to me about, and I just want to invite you into this this morning, okay? I want to invite you into reality. 
Because that's something that I feel a lot, a lot of times we don't live in reality. We like to avoid reality. Because either it's dangerous, it's harsh, it stretches us, it's uncomfortable. But this morning, I want to invite you to come to reality. Whether reality, as we're going to see here in Ephesians, whether reality means that it's difficult and it's a tough pill to swallow, or the reality is something that gives great joy. Whatever side of the coin reality is, I want to you, let's, let's get in it this morning. Whatever that looks like, let's, let, let's, let's look in the mirror and look at what God's word says, look at the truth, and let's take it for what it is. Because God's word, God's word has authority over our life. And so we want to live in that reality. Ephesians chapter 2. My wife is, is, I will get into it, I promise you. The reason, why, the reason why we need to be okay with living in both of these realities, whether good or rather uncomfortable, is because the two of them magnify the other. They, they, they magnify each other. My wife is reading this book called Redeeming Love that, that I think Lauren gave to her. And, you know, thanks for, you know, taking my wife away from me from the last week. She can't put it down. Um, she's just engulfed in this book. And it's so funny to watch her read it. And one, it's awesome to see somebody's heart, you know, encaptured with, you know, the story of redemption. You know, she just can't get enough of it. But she'll sit there and she'll read this book. And whenever these, uh, these uncomfortable, you know, it's a story of this woman who has an unfortunate, you know, past and is caught up in unfortunate events. And as my wife reads through those very descriptive parts of these unfortunate things in her life, she'll sit there in her chair and be like, oh, no, God, come on. No, don't do that again. You know, and she'll just start talking out like, no, didn't you learn? No, or Zach, listen, this is so sad. Can you believe this? You know, and then she gets to the part, you know, where, where there's this redemption happening in this girl's, you know, in this girl's life. She's reading the book and she's just smiling. You know, it's just like 1.30 in the morning and I'm trying to sleep and she's got the lamp on, you know, and she's just smiling because she sees this picture of redemption. There's the two contrasts there. And both of them magnify the other. That's why it's important for us to live in both realities. We don't shy away from one because it's uncomfortable. But we live in both of them because it's necessary. And we're going to see why the two of them are necessary. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead. And we'll stop there. And you were dead. That's what Paul's saying to Ephesus. And you were dead. You were spiritually dead. And the thing about this word dead is that it's non-existing. It's the, the, it means you, 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 the, the, there's no life in you. You know, death is a word in our culture in which stings. Because there's, there, there's no more opportunity for us to go back and relive or redo regrets or experience joy or experience happiness. There's no opportunity for that. Death is a hard line. It's a definite 
Death is a definite. It can't be changed. And so it carries a lot of weight to it. When, when, when something is dead, it exists no more. It has no opportunity to redo anything, to come back to life. It's dead. I can't bring any of my dogs back to life. They don't exist. There's no chance for that. That's what Paul's saying here. Is you were dead. You were spiritually dead. And that's a definite. That's a hard line. And that doesn't settle well with us. We don't do hard lines very well. Let's just be honest. We don't do hard lines very well. When I was in college, my first semester, I was such a punk, all right? In college, my first, my first spring semester, we're playing baseball, and I never showed up to class, ever. Never went to class, okay? And during that spring semester, my coach had to walk me back into three separate teachers of mine to beg them to let me back in their course so that I could be eligible to play in that season. Because three different times that year, I was ineligible. And, and, and to me, what, what it says to me is I didn't continue to go after class. I still didn't go to class. Because there was no hard line. There was no consequence My coach would drag me back in the classroom and rewrite it. You know, it wasn't definite. My suspension, my ineligibility wasn't definite. And think about all the things in our culture that have lost consequences, that no longer hold a definite state. You get expelled from high school, You can get your GED right here where you're sitting. You fail a test. You can stay late after school and get tutoring. You're irresponsible with alcohol and got to go to the hospital. You get shot up with liquids, make it all right. There's no consequence left in our culture. It's hard to be found. And so when Paul says, you're spiritually dead... I want you to know what he's saying is that there's not an opportunity for you to rewrite what has been done. It's finished. It's done. You can't go back. You're dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. After Paul says that we're dead, we got to ask the question, what are we dead in? Dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins. What is that? What is these trespasses and sins? Trespasses and sins is, you know, it's God's commandment that he's given, you know, the, the, the Jewish people back in the Old Testament. And so failure to live up to the commandments of God was sinful. You had trespassed what he had commanded of you. 
Augustine says this about sin and describing sin. He talks about sin being a movement, not an object, but a movement. And he uses this illustration, this metaphor. If you take this rock and you drop it in the middle of a pond, the ripples that naturally move away from the rock is sin. Sin is the movement away from God. It's what you choose to do that separates you, that moves you in a direction from the center of everything. God, that is sin. And so what Paul is saying is that you are dead because of the choice you made to leave the center of everything, the choice that you made to leave God. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, following the course of this world, following this culture, that's going to lead you away from the center. That's going to lead you away from God, away from his commandments. Following the prince of the power of the air, well, that is, that's, that's Satan who has, who has this, the, 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 the stranglehold, this authority right here, in which his influence is, is heavily felt amongst what? Sons of disobedience, those who are moving away from God. And we were by nature, underline this, End of verse 3. Among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, by nature, underline that. That's the reality I want you to sit in in the first half of this passage. By nature. We have to understand by nature. By nature, by nature what? By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of the mankind. You see, because there's consequences. Sin is consequential. There's a hard line attached, bound to sin. And that consequence is that we are by nature chosen of wrath. See, what happened in the very beginning of Genesis is that Adam and Eve, God created Adam and Eve, right? And, then he, the, the, and when God looked at Adam and Eve, he said what? Right? Along with the rest of creation, it's good. It's harmonious. This is well. This, this pleases me. And then as you see the serpent, as you see Satan tempt Influence Adam and Eve, what happened? Well, like the ripples moving away from the rock, they left God. They left dependency. They left trust. They left relationship. Everything that it means to be in relationship with Adam and Eve forfeited that and moved away from it. And so the consequence is that, is that for us, how that affects us is the Bible clearly teaches that the rest of humanity feels the effects of that sin. Because if we go all the way back and we follow the line all the way back, it all starts with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are our forefathers. It all started with him and the rest of humanity by nature now because of their choice, sin 
has now corrupted our very DNA, our very... And that's why Paul is telling them, and you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That word wrath, you know, the, the, the Jews in Ephesus here in the Old Testament, they were, they were very familiar with what it, what it was uh, to, to see God's wrath. Because under the Old Covenant, it was very black and white. And here it is. Obedience produced blessings for you. God blessed the obedient. And in contrary, the disobedient saw wrath. And so as our sin moves us away from the rock, the consequence is then for the rest of us. As Adam and Eve moved away, the consequence for the rest of us were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Because by nature, we are disobedient. It's what theologians call, you know, the fall. The fall of humanity, the the fall of mankind. And that's important to understand that it's by nature because this, there's, this, there's this cultural lie that I can't stand in our culture right now. And in that there's something good left in us. That there's something good left in us. And I, I, and I want nothing more Nothing more than to just be super honest and debunk that and for us to sit in the reality of there's nothing inherently good about any of us sitting in this room outside of Christ. You know, Scott said it the, the, the first two weeks, all the blessings we have in Christ, the inheritance we have in Christ, the power that we have in Christ. And the truth is that when we're without Christ, there is nothing inherently good about you or me. And that's the truth. Because if there were something good, inherently good about us, well, let's, let's think for a second. If there was something good about us, then, 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 then salvation then eternal life is going to, is going to, all it's going to be then is I've got to try my darnest to take that good thing that's left in me and do it a whole lot more than the bad. If there's, if there's something good left in us, then the necessity of Jesus Christ is not real. He becomes, he becomes a man that we should have pity on for the things that he suffered through. Because if there was something inherently good left in us, then all we would have to do is muster up our willpower so that that good left in us would carry us into eternity. And it's not the truth. And the culture will tell you, look on the news, you listen to your friends. Man, if we just all act out of the goodness of our heart, there's nothing left in good in our hearts. And the Bible is so clear about that. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And you're like, no, 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 it doesn't say there's nothing good. It says that we're sick. There might be something good left in us. No, 
Because God makes it, he goes even further in Ezekiel 36, 26 or 27. That he says that we need a new heart. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If there was something good left in our hearts, why is God so desiring to give us a new heart and a new spirit? There's nothing inherently good in us outside of Christ. And that's the reality. We have to come to that conclusion. We have to. Because if we don't, there's no necessity for grace. There's no necessity for what God has done through his son. That becomes hocus pocus. We have to come to that conclusion. But the problem that we have with that conclusion is that we recognize we've been given the, you know, the greatest divine uh, you know, attribute of humankind, of humanity, is that we've been given a choice. We've been given free will to choose. But where that becomes a problem with us is that we want to choose the consequences of the choice we make. We want to choose the consequences of the choice that we make. And God says, no, 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 no. I've given you free will to choose relationship with me. But no, I'm the judge. I'm the one with the mallet. And I've already bound consequences to choices. That's my job. I do that. And that's the struggle for us. That's why hard lines are difficult. And you may be sitting here this morning, you know, and you're like, hey, young cat, I, I appreciate it, you know, but, but I'm, already feeling, uh, I'm already feeling pretty low. I'm already feeling, you know, worthless. And, and, and this, only, this only pours on more worthlessness for me. Where are you going? I want to say, and as, we, as, we, as we're about to move forward, the very point, the very point in which you realize you are dead, spiritually dead without Christ, is the very moment, is the very starting point in which God says really loudly, I love you. And you don't see the magnitude, you won't see the magnitude of his love for you until you realize I'm spiritually dead. And so I don't want, this is not, this verses one to three is not affirmation for you to feel unworthy. It's affirmation for you because I'm inviting you in at this point when you feel unworthy in this the, the, the season of life that you're in. The very moment when you feel worthless is the very moment in which God might say to you, I love you. And in fact, in the Bible, it's the very point in which he says, now I will demonstrate how much I love you. So I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not beaten I don't want to beat you into the ground. That's not what this is. But I want us to live in the reality of what spiritual dead looks like and the consequences of that so that we might see the magnitude of God's love for us and what he's done for us. 
What has he done? You know, Lon was reading the scripture up here, you know, earlier, and he just couldn't help. I don't even know if he, he, I I don't imagine he did on purpose, but he couldn't help. When he came across, he started verse 4. Maybe the most powerful two words in the Bible, and I love it. You know, a while back, you know, I, I'd sum up the gospel would be, but thanks be to God. That's the gospel. But thanks be to God. And when Lawn started reading verse 4, but God, that but came out with, with, with a little more authority. It was loud. And maybe it was just me, but it just echoed, echoed with me. But God, those two words Those two words, I'm praying that those two words this morning would change the unworthiness that you feel about yourself and that you would hear God say, you are worthy and I love you. Through those two words, while we were spiritually dead, while we were unable to bring ourselves back to life, back to relationship with God, God says, but. But God being rich in mercy being full of compassion for us in in this inferior place, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. It's a big love. It's an infinite love. In the big love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, here we go, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So we use Paul. Paul's got this dead and alive contrast going here. This great departing moved away and this great reunion in which we are united back in Christ with him, made alive. Once we were dead, now we're alive. And here's, here's the deal. Here's the beautiful thing about being alive. Is, is that when my daughter was born, a daughter comes out, and I'm just in this, uh, I, I never understood why people said, you know, having a baby is a miracle. I'm like, yeah, this, this is a great, great experience, no doubt. And there's so much joy here, but I never understood why they said it was a miracle until this week, until looking at this passage. Because when you think about it, when a baby is born, there's something that, that nothing existed, New life was created. Nothing existed. New life was created. That's a miracle. We can't go out and and take nothing and make something. That's a miracle. When Jesus turned the, 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 the water into that's a miracle. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, that's a miracle. Because there was the absence of something, and then new life was created. And that's exactly what he's saying about you in Christ. We are now alive. Is that you were dead spiritually, didn't exist, out of relationship with God, and now it's a miracle that you're alive. If you want to hear that you are worthy this morning, know that you are a miracle. Your rebirth in Christ is a miracle. It, it, it can only be done. It can only be done by God. You're a miracle. 
And we put all this stock when we read these passages in the Bible, we look at the miracles Jesus was doing. We're like, man, where's that at today? I would love only, I would believe only if I could see that. Man, that would sure up a lot of questions I got. Look, the fact that you were dead and now you're alive is a miracle. Because you can't do that. And that's awesome. That's awesome. And we get it, we, 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 get, it, we get this savoring taste in our mouths about what it means to be alive when we look at where we were in our deadness. And we look at it, we couldn't save ourselves. And yet God says, but, but I want to show you the richness of my mercy, my compassion for you. I want to show you the big love that I have for you. And, and guess what? I want to do a miracle inside of you. I want to do a miracle in your life. I want to change your life forever. How does he do the miracle? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated in him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 8, for by grace, by the mercy, by the big love in which he's lavished on us, by his grace, he sent his son who would be the perfect sacrifice because we couldn't sacrifice anything else. We can't sacrifice ourselves because we're already defiled by nature. So he has to provide a perfect sacrifice so that we could come back into a relationship with him. And his son, his son was the sacrifice. Gracious sacrifice for us. And it's by faith in his son that he came and he died and he raised three days later. It's by faith in that that the miracle happens within us, that we were dead and we were made alive. By faith. What does it say? Not of our own works. Not of our own works, but by faith, so that we may boast in nobody but him, so that we may not boast in ourselves Because you got to think about it. Think about it. If it's not by grace, if there's something inherently good about us, let's, let's think. Let's say you're going to the store. You're going to lunch, right? Right after church this morning. And you decide, and you're, you're outside of Christ. Right? You're, you're spiritually dead. You're outside of Christ. And you decide you're going to pay for somebody's lunch sitting next to you. Right, that, that's your argument of, no, there's something good left in me. I'm practicing generosity. And I wanna say to you, no, 
It's not good. You want to know why? Because you've chosen what is morally good. You've chosen what is true. You have decided that generosity is good. You have done that. That's idolatry. That's sin. It's not, it's not the Spirit now who tells us what is true and what is good. You have decided what is morally correct. And that's the very problem with our culture is that we've all, we all want to decide what is morally correct. And therefore, then there's no more universal truth that exists in our culture. It's by grace, through faith, in which he initiated, in which he provided his son, that the miracle happens within us, not by our works. And so there was this old covenant, blessings for obedience, wrath for disobedience, now the miracle in which we were made alive in him. And that's the new covenant that God has set up with him. That we now live by the spirit, right? Remember back in, back in Ezekiel, he said he was gonna give us a new heart and new spirit. Now we live by the new spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ that he gives, uh, that dwells within us now. That is what, that, that is our motor. We no longer decide what is morally truthful ourselves, but Christ compels us. The spirit guides and teaches us. We just chase it. We have to be good at chasing where the Holy Spirit's running. Because look at the last verse. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are the worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's why we gotta be good at chasing the Holy Spirit because God before the foundation of the world created us so that we might chase the Holy Spirit and the good works that are found within that. Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, I mean, if we are in Christ, if we live by the Spirit, so let us keep up with the Spirit. Let us keep up with the Spirit. Let Gateway be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us so that we might walk in those, so that we might be obedient, so that we might actually, as Christians, so that we might actually truly live Because don't miss what Paul is saying. You don't truly live. You are dead outside of Christ. You are alive when you chase the Holy Spirit, when you are obedient to the Holy Spirit. We got to be good at that. We got to practice that. We got to fine tune sitting and listening to the Holy Spirit's prompting so that we might actually, as Christians, be the hope to our community. 
Because if, if you're plugged in at all to our community right now, there's a great need for the hope and the miracle of Christ. Somebody was telling me today that the, that the suicide numbers have eclipsed the homicide numbers in our culture. There's a need for us to walk out of here in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because there are people that need to hear that they're worthy. There are people that need to see the good works of the Spirit that dwell within us. And we've got to be good stewards of that. We have, we, we, we've tasted this bowl of broccoli when we lived in the reality of our deadness, verses one through three, we got a taste of that. I don't know, some of you might like broccoli. I don't, so it tastes bad. All right, put whatever you want in that bowl. We lived in that reality. We see it, we, we looked at it. We didn't glance over it and just look at, oh, God loves you. No, here's the reason. Here's the necessity of Christ, how he demonstrated his love. Because we had a bowl of broccoli first. And then we looked at what... The, the miracle that he's doing, that he's done in us and that he wants to do in you and that he wants to do in the community. And that's to me, that's like a bowl of ice cream with syrup drizzled all over it. And it tastes so much better. It tastes so much better right after looking at the broccoli. I get the magnitude of what he's really done for me. And so let's savor that this morning. Let's savor that this week. Let's savor that as we head out these doors. The goodness of God's love, the goodness of his mercy, the goodness of the miracle. Let's let it be on our tongue. I'm gonna ask the band, the band's gonna come back up. I'm gonna ask staff, all staff and, and, and trustees to make your way to the tables, uh, life group leaders, Ministry team leaders, you're welcome to, to head to the tables as well. And I just want to give you an opportunity, okay? Don't get up and walk out. Let's sit in here and savor the goodness of the gospel. And if you got questions about what, what is this deadness? Is, am, am I truly inherently not good? What, what is he talking about? That didn't sit right? Come ask. Come ask the question. Come ask the question. Well, if you're like, hey, I'm tired of being spiritually dead. I, I want to be alive. I want to be made new. Come have that conversation. Or maybe for you, you just, you stay where you're at. You just savor that bowl of ice cream. And you worship a God who sent his son to come redeem us the great reunion that he has initiated with his children because he loves us.